I'd ask you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We'll begin reading in Genesis 3 from verse 1. It's a very um, sobering account, very foundational to so much of the scriptures. This is the very uh, beginning of God's revelation of the need for man's redemption. And there is much here to consider, therefore. But we'll begin reading. In Genesis 3, verse 1, let us hear the word of God. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Ending our reading there, trust the Lord to bless this word to all of our hearts. Let us ask for his help one last time. Our Father, we call upon thee in the name of Christ, and we trust thee, O Lord, to bless thy word. O God, we, we are not capable in and of ourselves of bringing anything profitable out of the scriptures, Lord. We need thy Spirit's help, O Lord, and all the, the preparation and, and prayer and everything, it will all be in vain except you come and except you fill us each, all of us, now with thy spirit. Enable me to preach and enable us all to rightly hear thy message. Oh Lord, please hear our prayers and give us help now we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, The text I want to draw your attention to, or at least the portion, is really a question. And it's Genesis 3, verse 1. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What I want us to begin tonight is a series of what I'm titling Major Questions in the Bible. And it'll be full of a lot of variety. There's obviously many questions in the Bible. We're not going to look at every question, but just some major questions in the Bible. And we'll do this uh, for several weeks at least, and it will enable us to cover some very edifying ground and important things that we find revealed in the Word of God. 
And so that's what we're beginning tonight. And so I think it appropriate that as we begin this study, we come to the first question in the Bible. It is something interesting to note that in the written record of what God has said, this is the first question. Hath God said? And I just find that interesting that the Lord has so ordered it uh, that as we read our Bibles, that as we read His written revelation, this is the first question we encounter. Yea, hath God said? This question is very fundamental in many ways. It, it reveals to us several things, and we're going to look at some of those things tonight. But as we come to this portion, really what comes to mind as you read the account, as you read the fall of man, you think about what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And if Adam and Eve, in their state of innocency, uh, before sin had entered into the world, could fall and could be tempted to sin by this wicked adversary, then you and I are very much capable of falling into the same traps that he lays for us today. Because as it was then, so it is now. Satan walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so as we come to this question tonight, I trust you are, you are sobered by the account and that we will profit, each of us, from what we will see and what God would have us to take away from this account. And so we're not considering everything that there is here, but just focusing on this question. And I've entitled this message, The Question That Led to the fall of man. The question that led to the fall of man. Yea, hath God said. Hath God said. And the first thing I want us to notice from this text is the source of this question. The source of this question. The immediate source of this question is a serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That was the immediate source. But the ultimate source of this question is Satan. It is Satan. Now how do we know that? Well, if you know the passage, you'll know in Revelation 12, the devil is referred to in Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He is that old serpent called the devil. And so, as we begin here, we think about the source of this question. Why a serpent? Uh, the text says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And remembering at this time, uh, somewhere in this transition period, uh, the serpent has entered in, and not going to... I think some maybe see too much here, but I think at least what we can see in the fact that the immediate source is the serpent is that Satan manipulates creation in order to tempt man to sin. I think we can at least see that. And that's an example of this here. Satan takes 
a part of creation and manipulates it in order to tempt man to sin. We are told in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan is as an angel of light, that that's how he comes. He, he doesn't come to us as some spooky, scary character. He comes as an angel of light. He comes deceiving, even in the manner in which he approaches us. And so there was most likely, as we think about that, there was most likely some attractiveness to this creature. Whatever kind of serpent it was, uh, we think of serpents today, and, and most of us, we don't really care for snakes. <laughs> no doubt, as you see a snake, you don't exactly uh, want to go up and talk to it. And so, uh, I think it's really by necessity that we see here that Satan, as he comes as a serpent, there's some attractiveness to this serpent that he entices Eve to enter into this discussion with him rather than running away. And we see Satan doing this, manipulating his creation and tempting man to sin all throughout the world. You see this in ancient religions. You see this in false religions today. You see how Satan masquerades as an angel of light and, and presents himself to people in a friendly fashion and subdues them, promises them things, uh, gives them motivation to serve him and, and though they may not be even aware that they're serving Satan they, they find themselves being seduced by this angel of light and we're told that he does that through people the same passage in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us that his ministers Satan's ministers are angels of light the passage referring there including false teachers and so Satan takes on all forms. And I think that's really what we're meant to get out of this is that as he came to Eve as a serpent, so he masquerades as whatever he has to masquerade as, whatever he has to impersonate in order to get you to be willing to listen to what he has to say. And that really leads us in uh, to the discussion. But before we move on from that, seeing that Satan used a serpent, and we can see how that lesson helps us today to see that he's, he presents himself in various ways, we want to think for a second about him being the ultimate source of this question and some of the things we learn about Satan here. Because this question is very instructive for us as we think about Satan. This is the first mention of him in the Bible. This is the first encounter that we have with him. And this question forever characterizes who Satan is. Think about that. Everywhere you go in the Bible, well, at least not everywhere you go, but many places you go, you find this being referred to over and over again. What does our Lord say in John chapter 8, 44? He's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And so this, this question here, this act of Satan, forever characterizes him throughout the rest of Scripture so that our Lord says he's a liar and he's the father of it. He speaks the first lie that we read of in Scripture. And not only that, we're told that he's a murderer 
from the beginning. Now this is interesting because as our Lord says that, we should immediately recognize, or at least with thought and meditation, recognize that what Satan is doing in Genesis 3 by asking that question is he is trying to murder mankind. In the day that ye eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's what God had said concerning the tree, concerning the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the fruit of it. And so Satan wants to get man to eat the fruit in order that he will die. And so he is a murderer from the beginning. He is out to destroy mankind. But not only is he called the father of lies and a murderer, we're told in 1 John 3, verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Sin is, in a sense, the work of the devil. Sin entered into the world through Adam, yes, but it was through the temptation of Satan that Adam and Eve sin. Matthew Henry writes concerning uh, this appearance of Satan in the garden. Just very insightful as we think about his character throughout the rest of Scripture. Henry writes, He appears in the garden, seemingly out of nowhere, but, quote, He appears in the garden, enraged against God and His glory, and envious of man and his happiness. That he just, and Henry's drawing attention there to the fact that he just shows up. He just, we're reading along and then all of a sudden, Satan is just here in the garden. He appears out of nowhere and he's out to murder mankind because he hates God. And this is just a, a note here about the origin of sin and Satan. We're not going to dive into that subject, but I feel it's relevant to at least state here that as we come to this portion, many people will begin to ask, well, well, where did Satan's sin come from? And where does evil originate? And how do these things transpire? And at the end of the day, we do not know exactly how those things took place. But what we know, and what we should always stand upon, is that God is not the author of sin or evil. Man is responsible for sin. And Satan was responsible for sin. That's what we're told. God, we're told in Genesis 1.31, made everything good. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. That includes everything. There's nothing that God made that wasn't good. And if we... If we, if we get tempted to think beyond what God has revealed, we're told in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. We're told details. Uh, if you take those passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel to describe uh, the nature of Satan's fall, we're told about how he fell, but ultimately we're not told where this desire, where his pride and all those things came from. But I just want to make a note here. It's not really relevant to our message, but I felt it was necessary to just take this time for us to, to reestablish ourselves in this truth 
that God is not the author of sin, but man is. That God doesn't tempt any man to sin, but man is tempted of his own lust. That God hath made man upright, but he hath sought out many inventions. And the same is true for Satan. But, as we think about the source of this question, from the serpent and ultimately from Satan, it characterizes him forevermore. But next, I want you to notice with me the subtlety of this question. Not only the source of this question, but the subtlety of this question. For Satan says to Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now the first thing we want to see here about the subtlety is that this question distorted what God had said. This question distorted what God had said. Satan takes the word of God and twists it. He's a deceiver and a distorter. And that's what he does here. Yet ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Knowing full well that God had only told them, only forbidden them from eating from one tree. But what does Satan do here? Why does he say it that way? Well, there's a couple ways to take it, but at least two ways. He is saying this as if God's commandment was too strict or harsh. That's one way to take it. Or as if Eve had misunderstood the commandment. You could take it that way. It seems as if there's some truth in both. But at the same time, he, he says it this way in order to try and, and sow a seed of discord and discontent in Eve. That's why he says it this way. He's making an attack on what God has said. And again, Matthew Henry, I think, very helpfully uh, helping us here to think, what was Satan's strategy here? What did he do with Eve? And this is all important because this is what Satan does with us. This is what Satan does with you. Even if you're not aware of his activity, and I'm not saying that Satan is immediately the one attacking you. He has plenty of demons that he can dispatch to that. They're not omnipresent. So Satan's not everywhere tempting every man. And I don't see myself as important enough to have Satan trying to tempt me. I'm probably one of the, the lower demons trying to get me. But, be that as it may, this is the same strategy that is used on us today. But he says... First, in verse 1, he questioned the sinfulness of the act. That's what Satan did. He questioned the sinfulness of the act. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And then, he denies the danger that would come from the act. In verse 4, ye shall not surely die. I mean, it's, it's a direct contradiction of what God had said. God had said, ye shall surely die, or dying thou shalt die. And Satan says the exact opposite, so he denies the danger that would come from the act. And in verse 5, he suggests that there was much advantage in the act. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And that is the same way that Satan approaches people today. Though it may take different forms, he really does something similar. He, he gets people to question the sinfulness of their actions, whether or not they're sin. He gets you to deny the danger that's going to come from it. And he suggests to you that there's much advantage to be had in it. Now think about that 
in relation to some of the people in the Bible. Just one example. Who can you think of? I'm sure you can think of many. But my mind was drawn to David. Because we know David was a man after God's own heart. David was someone who truly knew the Lord and is with the Lord today. And yet we see David greatly fall. And we would have to be blind to not see the operation of the kingdom of darkness in his fall. What would have happened to David as he, as he thought through that decision? As he looks down into, through the window and sees Bathsheba, knowing the law of God. He knew the law. So how does this great man of God fail to obey that law? Well, I suggest that it would have happened in a similar fashion. He would have questioned the sinfulness of the act. Denied the danger that would come from the act. And he would have seen that there was much advantage to be had in the act. And I'm just saying we can see the activity of Satan in David's fall. And you can see it in the activity of the falls of others. So beware. That, that's really the point here. Is that for us to beware. That as we, as we are tempted to sin. And we begin thinking less of the penalties. That we know of in scripture. Now we know that, that the penalty of hell has been taken care of for believers. That Christ has suffered and satisfied the wrath of God. But there are temporal punishments for sin. There's the chastening hand of God that comes. And I am just saying here that as we think about this question. And we think about the activity of Satan as he asks this question. That we need to beware as believers of the penalties of disobedience. And the temporal things that we face in light of sin. Let alone what the lost person needs to take heed to when we think about this. Because in many ways, Satan attacks them very similarly. Now, lost people are in the kingdom of darkness. Believers are not. But he still has a similar way of approach. Just more drastic. He convinces lost people that there's no hell. He convinces them that there's not going to be any punishments for sin. He convinces them that this isn't sin. That you can live however you want and there's never going to be any punishment for it. And he convinces them that there's much advantage to living a sinful life. But all the while that he does that. It is all to ultimately murder, destroy, and kill. He can murder the soul of the lost. And with the believer, he can so ruin their life on this earth that they become in a way, miserable and set aside. And that, and in a measure, is what happened to David, at least for a time. And Satan does the same today. And so we need to beware. We need to always be checking our hearts 
with the word of God. Now this question distorted what God had said. And also this question distorted who God is. And this is all the subtlety of it. Because on the surface, it may not seem like he did that much. But by asking this question, Satan is distorting who God is. Because by distorting the the commandment, he's seeking to attack the character of God. Because he's really saying to her, saying this as if God were actually harsh toward them. He's holding something back from you. He's, He's keeping something from you that's for your good. I thought he was good to you. I thought he was your your loving creator and he's giving you all these other things and he's keeping this from you. And that's how he's seeking to distort who God is. His commandments, God's commandments, we should always remember this in scripture throughout the Bible, his commandments reflect his character. All of his commandments reflect something of his character. And so misunderstanding his commands will result in misunderstanding his character. And that's what he leads Eve here to do. He leads her to question what God had said, and then to question what God was like in light of what he said. And again, he does the same thing today. If he can get you, or if he can get people to misunderstand who God is, then they will misunderstand what God demands, what God requires, what God expects. He is always out to distort the word and to distort people's perception of God. And that's the subtlety of this question. That's that's how he so subtly plants seeds in Eve and just leads her by and by to the point where she falls. The third thing I want you to see, not only the source and the subtlety, but I want you to see thirdly, thirdly, the sinister goal of this question. The sinister goal of this question. Why does Satan ask this? Well, we know the ultimate goal is to murder them. But why does he take this approach? Why does he come from this angle? There's all kinds of ways that he could have tried to do this. But I suggest to you, that this question was an attack on trust. That that was his first goal. This question was an attack on trust. Yea, hath God said? Did he really say that? Or did you misunderstand what he said, Eve? Satan was deliberately assaulting Eve's trust in what God had said and therefore in God himself. This is the first goal in this kind of question. This is the first goal of Satan. To get you to doubt God in some way. Satan wants you to doubt God in any way that he can get you to doubt him. Now let's think of some specifics here. So Satan says to Eve, Yea, hath God said. Distorting the commandment and distorting God's character. But let's think of just, just at least a couple of key questions that, that Satan might ask us today. You can think of these on your own, I'm sure, but and no doubt you've experienced them to some degree. 
What does Satan do to, do to God's people? He comes and he says, the thought enters your mind. When you're going through a trial, you're going through something that is, that is turmoil in your life and difficult for you. He says, if God is so good, then why are you going through this trial? He comes to you and he says that. If God is so good, then why are you going through this trial? Another that he might say, if God is so good, then why doesn't he save your lost loved ones? If he's so good, then why does he put you through this? And why does he not do these things? Those are just two examples. But that's how he comes. That's how he approaches things. He comes when we're at a point of weakness. And he comes with a subtle and sinister question to get you to doubt God. To get you to doubt His Word. And really when those questions comes, when those questions come, it's always a matter of understanding and faith. Because at the end of the day, we don't always know why we're going through this trial. We don't always know why God hasn't saved these people we're praying for. And there's countless other examples of things that we simply have to believe God rather than the lies of the devil. It's interesting to note in thinking about this, what we're told in Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking up the shield of faith that you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Taking up the shield of faith. The Word of God is clear in answer to those questions, but it doesn't do our souls any good if we don't believe the Word, if we don't rightly put our faith in the Word. Like Romans 8.28, it says, it tells us, all things work together for good. But Satan comes and he just says, really? Do they? Do they really work together for good? Where do you see the good in this? That's, that's the sinister and subtle nature of his question. And, and we have to come to that point where we say, I don't care if I can't see the good. I know that God has said it is working together for good. And I'm not saying that's easy. But Satan wants us to doubt God. He attacks our trust in God. And that's what this was, an attack on trust. But also, as we think about the sinister goal of this question, this question was an attack on obedience. That's the next thing. It's like Satan's just so methodically going about this. He knows exactly what buttons to push. He knows exactly how he wants to lead her along. And so the next thing he attacks and the next thing he's after is her obedience. The first thing he attacks is trust. And once he breaks that barrier down, 
Well, then he moves on to her obedience. It's very diabolical. It's, it's very just, it's sinister in the way you see the activity of Satan working out here. He removes a barrier. And the Word of God is a barrier for us. The Word of God was a barrier for Adam and Eve. One thing, don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. In the day that you do that, thou shalt surely die. And so Satan comes and he attacks that word. And he attacks their trust in that word. At least he attacks Eve's trust in that word. And he breaks down that barrier. As almost to say, does God really forbid that in his word? Or, or did you misunderstand or is he just harsh? And he's not, you're not going to die if you do that. God's lying to you. And once he gets you to doubt God, something God has said, then it is all the easier to lead you to sin. He does it with people all the time. He attacks their trust and then he attacks their obedience. Because if he can convince you that the Bible doesn't forbid you to do X, Y, or Z, whatever the thing is, then there's no barrier. There's nothing to stop you from doing this. And I'll tell you one thing that I find over and over with people today that, that is a perfect example of this is living together outside of marriage. It is, it is one of the number one things you find. You will find people professing Christians, young people typically, but some older people, and they will profess to know Christ. Whether they do or not, you know what the Word of God says about that. But they profess to know Christ, and they say they know the Bible, and they'll even quote the Bible. But then, they will say that it's not wrong to live in fornication. What is that but evidence that they have been satanically deceived into thinking that the Word of God doesn't forbid something and so they just do it? And they're convinced. And you can see this in all kinds of other areas that we're not going to get into. But this is the point. He attacks trust, then he attacks obedience. And all of this leading people to sin. And there's, there's difference in how he does it with believers and unbelievers, but he does it to both. He did it with David. And he does it with countless other people. Leading them right to hell. His ultimate goal is always your destruction. If it, and if he can't get you eternally, then he wants to get you temporally. The sinister goal of this question. But note with me, fourthly, the sinful response to this question. The sinful response to this question. Sadly, as we know, Eve believed Satan's lie. And that was the sinful response. To believe his lie is to sin. Because when you believe Satan's lie, when Eve believes Satan's lie, Eve rejected also God's truth. Because they don't go together. 
The lie of Satan was completely, directly contradicting what God had said. And so when Eve believes Satan's lie, she rejects God's truth. And that was the simple response. And that simple response leads to the eating of the fruit and the fall of man. She was deceived and aligned herself with the kingdom of darkness at that point. And this teaches us several things that we, sh- we should take heed to here. It teaches us to carefully avoid temptation. It teaches us to carefully avoid temptation. Because the fact that Eve interacted with the serpent... The fact that there's some sort of willingness on her part to to listen to the serpent, to listen to Satan, well, maybe he's got a point here, shows that there was an inclination in her that she had already, to some degree, uh, begun thinking about this. And there's a certain amount of mystery in that. And people go back and forth. Well, when did they actually sin? Was it... In the eating of the fruit, well, there's some merit to seeing that. But at the same time, we know that sin happens in the heart. And so even the desire, the the desire that she was coveting after the fruit was sin. But not to get into all of that, the point is that she believed the lie. She rejected God's truth. But she she stayed around this temptation rather than immediately recognizing, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Ye shall not surely die. Immediately, there should have been a recognition that this is an affront to God. She is attacking what God has told me. Where's Adam? Or let me get out of here should have been the response. But she didn't. She didn't avoid the temptation. And we we need to learn from that. That as you find yourself becoming tempted. You have to recognize it as temptation and then flee from it. You always think of this with, or at least I always think of this with Joseph in Potiphar's house as Potiphar's wife daily is trying to get him to lie with her, to commit adultery. And when she latches on to him one day, he flees out of the house. He doesn't just fight her off. He flees and gets out of there. And I think it illustrates the principle, getting away from temptation. But this also teaches us to keep an eye on one another. What I mean is, you know, people debate whether Adam is present during all this or not. And the debate really circles around verse 6. And when it says that she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And people will say, well, he was with her the whole time. Others will say, well, no, Satan came and deceived her. And then she goes to the tree and Adam has either met with her in the meantime and has gone with her and now they're together and they both eat. Whatever way you take it, Adam was the leader. He was the head. And he should have been keeping an eye on his wife. And I just want to draw out an application there for us here. Satan, like we said from 1 Peter 5.8, is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means he's prowling, ready to pounce, ready to 
lay hold of someone and devour them. And so it becomes us as brothers and sisters in Christ to watch for one another. Not only in prayer, but, but practically to, to go to one another and, and keep accounts with one another, to talk to one another and find out what each other's struggling with. To know if Satan might be seeking a way of tempting someone to fall. I think you can see that application here. But Eve believes this lie. And then she spreads this lie. Which is another thing to notice. That when you believe the lies of Satan, you will spread the lies of Satan. We see this with Eve and Adam. Though we're told that Adam wasn't deceived, Eve was deceived. But we see this with Job and his wife. Job's suffering and, and going through all of these trials. And his wife comes to him and says, Just curse God and die. Are you going to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. And I think what you're seeing there is that his wife had bought into the devil's lie that whatever Job was going through wasn't for his good, that God was against him. And then you see this with Peter and Christ in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 22, the Lord uh, begins to tell his disciples about his suffering and what he's going to do. And Peter says, far be it from thee, Lord. And what does our Lord say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. That's very insightful. And we'll consider that more as we come to a close. But you see it with all these people. They believe the lie. Peter was believing something that was false about the purpose of Christ. He was believing something that was wrong and no doubt was a lie of Satan and he spreads it. And you see it with Eve and you see it with Job's wife. Now that she believes Satan's lie, she was ready to disobey God's truth. This is the same for anyone else. Fifthly and finally, I want you to see with me the saint's response to this question. The saint's response to this question. We see the sinful response. That's the rest of the chapter, really, or at least the, the rest of the, the half of the chapter. But who has responded rightly? To the temptations of Satan. Who, who shows us the way that this is meant to be handled, the way that it should be handled? Well, none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to end here focusing upon him and the saints' response to this question. And the first thing I want you to see is that Satan's lies must always be faced with God's truth. Satan's lies must always be faced with God's truth. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. It's our Lord being tempted by the devil. And I just want us really to highlight this. But you see this truth is always 
facing Satan's lies with God's truth, perfectly illustrated in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're told, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now this perfectly illustrates what you and I need to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit that we will be able to do. He was a man. Our Lord Jesus Christ in His humanity is displayed here. Full of the Holy Ghost, He was a man able to respond to Satan's lies with God's truth perfectly. Every attack that Satan comes with, our Lord responds, it is written. It is written. And that's what you and I have to do. Every lie, we have to recognize it as a lie or a distortion and then respond with the truth. But also, not only must they be faced with God's truth, in light of that, saints, therefore, must know and understand God's truth. What I mean is, it is not simply enough to know the Scriptures because the devil knows the Scriptures. And what I mean is, we can just quote sometimes without understanding the meaning. But the devil knows Scripture. And we see that illustrated in our Lord Jesus Christ in the rest of the chapter. In the next temptation, our Lord, we're told about our Lord in verse 9 of Luke 4, and he brought him to Jerusalem, that is, the devil brought Christ to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now isn't that interesting? That Satan is so crafty, so subtle, so sinister, that he actually takes the word of God like he did in the garden and distorts it and twists it and seeks to use it against Christ. But what does our Lord say? And that's why I say know and understand because our Lord responds Scripture with Scripture. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. That's amazing to me. That Satan would seek to use the word of God against our Lord and yet he so has such a grasp of the Scriptures, such a familiarity with all its parts and has studied all of Scripture that he knows that's against this other portion. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now you and I are not our perfect Lord Jesus. And you and I do not have a grasp on the Scriptures like he did. But he was a man. 
and he was ministered to by the Holy Spirit. And in as far as we can, as much as we are still living in the flesh in this fallen world, we are to imitate him in these ways. The other example, and this is why I said earlier to think more about this, when our Lord said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. It's remarkable to me that our Lord was so governed by the truth. He so knew the Scriptures and His purpose in coming. He, he so understood these things, was so grounded in the Word of God that He was able to immediately identify this statement from Peter with Satan. I mean, isn't that amazing to you? That Peter says this, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned unto him and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So, such a grasp that he's able to immediately identify where this is coming from. And that's the place where you and I want to get to. By the help of the great, by God's grace and by the help of the Holy Spirit. That we would so have a grasp upon the Word of God. And the Word of God would have such a grasp on us. That when the devil comes... And he comes as an angel of light. I mean, Peter's one of the disciples. <laughs> he is one of our Lord's twelve disciples. I mean, he is, he is in the inner group, as it were. And yet, our Lord immediately identifies it. And that's where you and I want to be. Knowing and understanding the Word of God to the point where not only do we have it memorized, but we, we, we are able to compare Scripture with Scripture and say to Satan, get thee behind me, you father of lies. But this is, this is daily warfare. This is what we're told about in Ephesians 6, that our, that our warfare is with the principalities and darkness, dark powers of this world. I'm paraphrasing. But that's what we're told. And so as you, as you go throughout your days this week, I don't know what the Lord's going to bring before us. I don't know why the Lord uh, led me to come to this portion first. It's the first question in this series, the first question in the Bible. And so that's why we've come here. But I, I trust the Lord that this is a word in season for you this week. It's already been a word in season for me as Satan has come to me this past week tempting me and, and plotting seeds of unbelief. And I can sense it. But you don't always discern it rightly. So I, I trust that you and I, by God's grace, are going to be brought to a point where we can so recognize the lies of the devil that we will rightly respond to them. Don't believe the devil's lies. Satan accomplished his mission with the first Adam, but not with the last Adam. Our Lord Jesus triumphs over the serpent. And what are we told in Romans 16, 20? That, that we shall soon trample him under our feet. And so Satan can't win the war with you if you know Christ, if you are here in the Lord or watching online and know the Lord. He can't win the war with you. But it is a scary thing that he can win a battle. And that is why we must pray. That's why our Lord taught His disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want to close with an appeal to anyone watching online or, or even here that does not know the Lord. What are the lies of Satan to you? Well, Satan has various lies that he dupes the lost with. But perhaps God, Satan has lied to you and told you God doesn't want people like you. That he's not willing to have you. Our Lord Jesus Christ says to that lie, John 6, 37, Him that cometh to me. I will not, I will in no wise cast out. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Perhaps Satan has lied to you and said, You don't need the righteousness of Christ. You're a good person. You can get by. You've been raised in a Christian home. You don't need to embrace Christ's righteousness. Jesus' response to that lie is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And perhaps there's someone that's believed the Satan the the lie of Satan, that you can live in your sin perpetually and still be saved. The Word of God's response to that in 1 Corinthians 6.11, having given that list of sins that we're told about those people that they shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Were some of you. So if you're listening, and that's you, Take heed to the Word of God. Anyone who does not know Christ, him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way. And such were some of you. Those who truly know Christ do not live in their sins perpetually. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God. We thank Thee for giving us help in our understanding of it. Lord, how we need Thee to illuminate our minds that we would understand the Scriptures. We pray that You will give all of Thy people here a firm grasp upon the Word of God and make the Word of God to have a firm grasp upon us, Lord. Help us to to cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 119, O Lord, and all those things that he has to say about the Word of God. Lord, make Thy words sweet to our taste. Give us help, O Lord. We need to know the Word of God more, Lord. I need to know it more. We pray, Lord, equip us. Help us by Thy Spirit. Give us discernment, Lord. He, he is, the devil is seeking to destroy thy people constantly. And we pray, therefore, Lord, help us. Help us against demons. Help us against the devil, Lord. We know they, they lurk in shadows, Lord. We don't see that, that world, that, that, all that activity that goes on, Lord. We don't see it, but we know it goes on, Lord. And we pray that you would help us, therefore 
to, to be dressed in our armor each day, O oh Lord, that you'd help us to put on the whole armor of God each and every day. And Lord, you'd give us greater faith to believe the promises. Lord, even as we sang, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. For that is all we have, Lord. We stand upon your word. And if thy word, if we, if we lose our faith in thy word, we don't have anything. Lord, please keep us, O oh God. Keep us from falling. Present us faultless before thy throne, O oh God, with exceeding joy. Be with us, O oh Lord. O oh God, keep us. Watch over us in this week. Guard thy people. And bless us now as we depart with thy presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.